Survivors and welcome to First Aid Spray, a Resident Evil podcast by fans for fans. This is episode 64 of the show and in this edition we settle into the Ashford Family Library with book club Code Veronica. My name is Cy and joining me on the panel this week, noted not a fan of Code Veronica, let's see how he fared with the novelization, or is it another case where Steve is suffering from Firebutton Games, it's Steve Valance. I just, uh, uh, these allegations are so harsh, I mean, <laughs> I... I I enjoy uh, Veronica. Yeah, yeah, you got me cold. Hi, everybody. Considering his favourite line, or perhaps a single word of the game is not in the book, I thought that he might even bow out of this one. Reporting live from the corridor, it's Moist Owlet, aka James. (laughs) God damn it, it's in my notes. And our special guest this episode, jumping from a video series that looks like a graphic novel about a game to a podcast about a book about a game, it's Sean from Carrier 1998. Hello, internet. Every episode of First Aid Spray is recorded live on our Discord server, so join now to hear the show early and unedited and to become part of our fantastic little community where we discuss life, the universe, and Resident Evil. You can find a link to the server as well as all of our social media profiles at our website, fasprayPod.com. It's the support of our listeners that keeps First Aid Spray going, so why not check out our merchandise or our Patreon page? Tiers begin at just $1 a month. Head over to patreon.com forward slash fasprayPod for a full list and the chance to create bonus First break content um let's do a little bit of housekeeping the latest episode of now that's what i call survival horror is out for patrons it's a special episode indeed because jordan joins me for the first time ever to do a double disc edition as we've called it talking about the soundtracks of resident evil survivor and dead aim he picked his top 10 tracks from both those games mixed them together and we talked about the whole lot it was a good time indeed um, and also, it's worth saying there's a couple of polls coming up for Hunter tier patrons and above very soon for bonus episodes. So if you want to make those important decisions, make sure you are Hunter or above. Meanwhile, our most recent bonus episode has now gone public. It is our look back at Sonic the Hedgehog 2, of all things. Find out which member of First Aid Spray had never played the game before and hear the rest of us sort of wax lyrically about the nostalgia of that title. Uh, and also coming up to everyone over on our YouTube is the latest episode of Tear Death Experience, where Steve Sherwin and I ranked the best of the tyrants, essentially, and it was a good time indeed. So let's circle back round to our guest. Uh, Sean, welcome to the show. Um, you know, number one question, and I say it every time, I love to ask people this. Uh, you're clearly a big Resident Evil fan. How did that begin for you? What was the first game and sort of what was your entry into the franchise? Oh, boy. All right, so we're going to have to take this all the way back to the year 1997. And um, (laughs) at the time, I'd been living in a suburb down here in South Florida, and I had an older brother, and we were pretty much Nintendo kids growing up. Like, we had an N64. So Mm -hmm. at at that time, you know, it was kind of commonplace that you go over to your friend's house who had a a different console. So we had a, a buddy down the street who had a PlayStation 1, and... We'd go over to his house all the time and play like Crash Bandicoot, Alien Trilogy, um, it's all the other titles that were at that point. Yeah. And I remember just, I was a younger brother, so I never got to touch anything. And I would just kind of get bored sitting there watching all the stuff. So I'd read his comic books. And one day he says, Hey, we got to check out this new game. Come on over. We go and we're like, What is it? It's called Resident Evil. And I'm like, I don't know what those words mean. <laughs> <laughs> and then they put it on and we're watching it and all I can remember him saying is oh it's about zombies and uh yeah zombies so 
all right, checked it out, watched that black and white intro video, and you know, looking back on it now, most people would think that that was a very cheesy intro. All the cheesiness was lost to me as a kid. I, I took it at face value. It looked like mm. the most serious, dramatic experience I ever seen as a kid, and I, I I was hooked. And just seeing like the the ter- like the really cheesy costumes, the stars, tactical gear. Um, I don't know why I just got hooked into it. And Chris's hair was Charlie's hair, I must say. Yeah, it it just stood out as fantastic, and I would watch them play it. And something about being this, it's like you look like a special forces commando and you're stranded inside this spooky haunted Gothic looking architecture that the contrast of it just really stood out. It felt very visceral, very scary. And yeah, that was, it was definitely in late 97 cause I only played it a handful of times until it felt like the sequel had just come out. But, um, mm. funny story is I never actually got to beat it until maybe three years later, just because, mm. uh, we'd always rent a PlayStation from like the the video store play the game and i can never make it like maybe half an hour before turning it off because i just i'd be too terrified to continue <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think there's a lot of stories that are very similar to that and you know for what it's worth of course video game had never put in like a live action cutscene like that before so you know of course it sort of was mind-blowing you kind of the cheesiness did, wouldn't even necessarily register anyway because it was just like wow this is a video game but it it looks like a movie, as everyone says. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, I think it's probably fair to say, then, that this and another particular franchise, I would guess, um, had some pretty major effects on you because uh, your show, Carrier, um, seems very... Well, I mean, it's a, it is a Resident Evil story that you are uh, concocting, but with a very different kind of style. Do you want to talk about what that is a little bit for everyone? Uh, yeah, it's essentially just imagine if Resident Evil and Max Payne kind of just got into a car crash together and that's the uh <laughs> that's the final product there uh yeah i mean uh like i said uh, like you mentioned uh there's another series that was heavily influential on me as a kid and that was max Payne. um mm-hmm. if anything that was a series that just came out of left field because i remember seeing commercials for it in fact it was the second game i ever got when i first got a ps2 and i thought with a name like max Payne, you know i there's another game out there called Dead to Rights, which is just an over-the-top kind of Max Payne clone. I thought it was going to mm. be like that, just nonsensical action, like someone took lethal, the movies like Lethal Weapon and Die Hard and put it into a video game. I had no idea how dark and like very cinematic and mm. film-the-wire approach that that game had brought, and it was just, you know, I, I just lost in it. It just anchored me right from then and there. And I just loved the... Um, the comic book cutscenes. I hadn't seen anything like that ever, except maybe um, they they put Spider Man on N sixty four, Spider Man two thousand. They made a port for the N sixty four, and the cutscenes in that were relegated to just mm-hmm. comic book uh, panels as well. And that was for the same reason as Max Payne's for graphical limitations, but they instead turned a limitation into like an advantage or you yeah. know, a, a positive, so to speak. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Um, so yeah, your your show's got an episode out now um, with the second episode on the way. We got a quick uh, sneak peek of that, and it looks like it's coming along great. Um, even though I thought the first episode looked incredible, the scene that we got to see from episode two 
uh, has already blown out, you know, that first episode out of the water. It's a, it felt like a big step up. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing the final product of that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, technically, there's actually two episodes out. As I, I have what's called... Oh, is it? Sorry. No, I call it the pi- yes, pilot. Yeah, the pilot episode, which was um, mm. me kind of testing out how to do this entire format on its own. Right. And then there's episode one, and uh, the pilot takes place in 98, and the episode and the rest of this uh, season... Uh, continues in 1995. Is it uh, inappropriate to ask in a public forum, do we have like a prospective release date for episode two? Yes, uh, I would say episode two has been pushed to March. So that'll be mid-March. We're going to have a discussion of Carrier on Saturday on a podcast with Biohazard Classified. I've got a new teaser sequence I'm going to be releasing. It's not the one that I showed you all. I'm going to keep Chief Iron's thing on the a secret. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, Saturday, I'll be meeting up with uh, Andy on Biohazard Classified. I'll discuss the release date, and then I got a new teaser clip that I'm going to be um, revealing. Sweet. Uh, with that out of the way, then, I guess we can jump into the latest, rather large Biohazard headlines. Steve, if you'd, uh, if you'd like to take us away. Our first news story. Capcom have revealed a new... A brand new CGI film in the year of 2023 called Death Island. (laughs) Yeah, this came out of absolutely nowhere. Um, I guess with Infinite Darkness, everyone was kind of like, well, maybe they're making a second season or, or whatever. But no, we're having a brand new CGI film that is coming to home, uh, home video. Next summer, we don't have a date yet. What we do know, and I'm pulling up the synopsis as I speak, um, is it's going to star uh, Leon and Chris and a returning Jill Valentine and an implication of Rebecca as well. And it's being framed as a sequel to Vendetta set in the year 2015. Steve, what do you make of this? Uh, How excited are you feeling about this one? I, I am not really excited as much as I love Leon and Chris. I'm not excited they're back. Literally, my my my, uh, my laser focuses is what's happening with Jill. Mm. How's Jill doing? Mm. Is she doing okay after RE5? Please tell me she's okay. I know that shot looks like a remake shot, so it's probably 98 Jill, but I want to see present day, please. Uh, otherwise, I'm just excited to see it because you know I know they can be cheesy. I know they can be um, a little bit hokey. For example, Leon blowing up an entire highway to destroy like two dogs, mm. uh, but they. They fill a little niche, you know. They're not necessarily necessary stories, but they're normally fun stories. Mm. Uh, even Infinite Darkness had some redeeming <laughs> qualities in my eyes. Like the one or two tense scenes when there's not like B.O.W. John Wick na- uh, nonsense going on. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, cautiously I... optimistic see Jill. Yeah, that's fair. Like, I'm optimistic even though I track history wise I know I shouldn't be because I I didn't like Infinite Darkness and I don't really like any other CGI movies that much Um, (laughs) but yeah I'm interested I'm interested to see the Jill sequence or sequences Um, I am reticent to get too excited because clearly Leon and Chris are the main characters because they're the ones on the poster and that kind of thing Uh, and obviously there's a lot of conversation about is Jill going to be merely in a flashback because as you say it's the remake 3 model and it very much looks like it could be 
her scene at least could be set in the past but that doesn't mean that she won't appear in the future as well and there's definitely some theories about that so it's interesting it's yeah cautiously optimistic is certainly the term try not to get too excited but uh it certainly caught me by surprise james how are you feeling about the <laughs> let's also say hilariously named death island <laughs> oh um <laughs> so i do want to i do want to bring everyone's I, i'm terrible with names i'm sorry but i think this is the first production that doesn't have that guy that absolutely gets a hard on for leon right <laughs> yes that's right, right. So I, there's like that. So we might have a little bit more character development other than high kicks and you know gun fu, um, mm. maybe. Like I love I I love what I see in terms of the concepts we got. We got like some cool, super cool images of underwater liquors with really interesting kind of apparatus attached to them. Why mm. they're in a cage is very intriguing and. Like, what's on this Death Island is still a dumb name, but, you know, what is on this island? Um, <laughs> obviously, we've got Rebecca. They they seem to love kind of referencing Rebecca. Um, why not giving her super-duper, like, anything extra in terms of lore development? Um, so I hope this might give us something. But is this based in 2016, was it, or 2015? 2015, yeah, so the year after yeah. Vendetta. Right, so... Yeah, so if we see Jill in that time period, it's going to be very, very relieving to mm-hmm. a lot of the well, yeah, fans. Yeah, first RE6. Yeah. Like, yes, yeah. It'll like, be the most recent she, appearance that yeah. she would have had. It's going, to be, it's going to be a huge relief to a lot of, including myself, um, mm-hmm. to the RE fandom because it's been so up in the air about where Jill is. And when you see like characters, even if it is going to be separate from the games, which at this point I kind of see the CGI films as separate from the games because they yeah. don't really make sense to the characters that are in the games um, right now, unless you look at RE6 a bit. But yeah, I'm ex- I am excited about it, but I am going to keep my reservations because just of its history, just because of our Resident Evil's history with CGI stuff, um, I, I, again, I got really excited about Infinite Darkness and I got disappointed by that. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm just going to keep my reservations <laughs> Um, you've been burned yeah exactly (laughs) i'm I'm like pretty much compared to everybody else here i'm pretty i'm brand new to the resident evil franchise right so that's other than a couple other things that's the first time i've been properly burned Mm. by something to be honest Mm. um it doesn't hate it doesn't make me hate the you know or love the resident evil franchise any less but yeah i i do hope they bump it up with this one. Mm-hmm. Do you know what? Terror leads to James. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, DSO agent Leon S. Kennedy is on a mission to rescue Dr. Antonio Taylor from kidnappers when a mysterious woman thwarts his pursuit. Meanwhile, BSAA agent Chris Redfield is investigating a zombie outbreak in San Francisco where the cause of the infection cannot be identified. The only thing the victims have in common is that they all visited Alcatraz Island recently. Following the clue, Chris and his team people who will almost certainly die because it's Chris's team head to the <laughs> island <laughs> where a new horror awaits them um, Carrier what do you think of Death Island so far and what we've seen um, so I'm going to go ahead and say this if that's the name they're sticking with Death Island then they have a really high bar they're going to have to pass in comparison to another <laughs> yeah. movie that features islands and zombies and I'm talking about the one only Scooby Doo on Zombie Island <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> um, no, I could say I'm, I'm curious to see it. Um, I haven't really had the best uh, track record of being interested in the CGI films ever since I saw 
the trailer for the first one, which was Degeneration, I believe. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, even seeing the trailer at that point, I kind of got an idea of what the movie was going to be like because the games up to that point were already going in that kind of Call of Duty-esque action-packed direction. And it wasn't really for me. Um, I was curious when Infinite Darkness came around because it looked like maybe they, at this point, remake it happened. Maybe yeah. the, the sign was they were going back to their horror roots. Maybe this one was actually going to be terrifying, like the initial trailer to um, the last one where it looked like it was in a you know, a mansion with zombies. Yes. Um, I wouldn't say Infinite Darkness was a step backwards, but it was definitely a sidestep because mm-hmm. there were some interesting ideas, but they didn't do anything with it, and it was just a retread. So that's why with this one, um, I, the story itself, again, we I feel like I've been fooled like this, by this before. I've seen zombies in another one, and it was totally not the direction I expected. The only... Uh, unique feature i would say is jill being back because i don't think we've seen jill in any of the cgi films have we no nope this will be her first appearance um so yeah interesting and and i'm i'm thinking i don't like the idea of playing too much with like a flashback because if Mm. that's jill then damn i don't know if she's been hitting the pilates or something because she has not aged since from (laughs) 98 to 2015 it's looks yeah exactly yeah. T-Virus will do that to you, and the <laughs> Rejuvenate and whatever else, you know, the, the yeah. magical viruses. You know, that's the, other, that's the other thing I was wondering, because we've already seen Sherry's situation in RE6 about how she had the virus and the antivirus in her, but ever since 3, we we haven't really seen them touching on that, that Jill had the infection herself. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of questions that they will, I'm sure they will neatly avoid answering, certainly. But it, <laughs> uh, it's, it's one of those things we talked about on the server a little bit before we move on. I just wanted to point out that, like, yes, Chris and Leon are the poster boys for this. Of course they are, because it's especially because it's a CGI production and that's just the direction they've gone. And, okay, fair enough. It's a sequel to Vendetta, so it does make sense. But the fact that they ended this trailer with the big reveal that Jill is in it and they knew what they were doing. They knew that's what people cared about. So hopefully... They know that it's a big deal that she's in, and they're going to give her more than just a flashback scene, or you know, whatever. So, you know, let's, let's hope it's more than that. She's right. going to be a she's going to be a step up. Don't say it. She's going to be a step. She's going to be there. So Leon and Chris look better. That's how. That's what's going to happen. I'm sorry, guys. I thought you were going to say damsel in distress, but both is just as bad. I, uh, I, right, I, I don't. I don't think that. <laughs> so, I don't think they're that stupid. But I do think they're just. Go- she's gonna be. Oh yeah, here's all the information. But she's. Go- they're gonna do with Jill what they did to Claire in Infinite Darkness. Right. Yeah. When, when has Jill ever been the like you know the sidekick? Here's a bit of information. Save the day character. Bar the one time she's had a chest ripped open because of a thing in RE5. Mm-hmm. Like she's been the one who blows stuff the f up. Yeah, you know, uh, I don't want to go on a tirade, but yeah. I, I do miss Miss Valentine. You know, uh, so it's been a very busy month, and Game Informer have had coverage showing Resident Evil 4's remakes gameplay. Yeah, uh, exciting stuff. That's uh, you know hashtag Raingate or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's definitely been the talking point. Is what the rain in that game looks like, or or you know that kind of thing. And I I, I side with that opinion that it's it's awful, and if it stays like that. It's probably going to be a much lesser experience for me than I was hoping. Uh, it might sound extreme, but it, it was pretty bad. But be outside of that, what we got to see was very exciting indeed. James, how are you feeling about the new 4-make stuff? 
Yeah, I don't. I've said my opinion about the rain. I think it's dumb. Um, actually, I'll say a little bit more. Um, I was watching something on Netflix recently. I'm not going to say what it was, right? But there was a scene in it where basically uh, the heroes were running through a corridor, and the corridor was light was brightly lit, but there was the ceiling was dismantled, so rain was coming down, and light was illuminating the rain, right? And that is what it looks like precisely in remake four. And mm. unless there's a reason. Because there were some bits where the rain was slightly less saturated in the trailer, and it looked kind of better. But as Steve yeah. put on Twitter a few days ago, like, why didn't they just stick with what Remake 2 did with the rain? Yeah. It looks so much better. It looks very atmospheric. It's not like... It feels like they're trying to put the rain into the forefront, like, and make yes, it a centerpiece. Right? And, like, that's not what rain should be, unless it's that there's a reason for that. Um, in which case, I'm very excited. But I'm not going go to go to... <laughs> yeah, I, I like. I I feel like that kind of the rain is like the big talking point. Besides, everyone's like, "Yes, it's <laughs> amazing. You can parry anything." I, like, I okay. do. Yeah, I want to. I want to talk about the game though. So the game looks freaking fantastic. Like, yeah, it does the par- the parry system? I'm so excited to. I, I said when it when it first launched, I said in our chat, I said I can't wait to make a parry guide because that's precisely what <laughs> I'm gonna do. Like when I play this game. Um, yeah, it just I love the UI, like the the overlay that you've got. It looks so minimalist and uh, just like the original game was. Um yeah, they just like bumped it up. Uh yeah, uh I love the monster designs. They again, they have that familiarity but still like they've just bumped it up to HD or whatever 8K <laughs> whatever Kelsey's watching right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um yeah, it's it's it looks fantastic, and I'm very excited to explore it. And another thing that I love what they're doing right now, and I really hope they keep to this because they did it with Village, and that's they're not showing too much. They're mm-hmm. like, because with Village, they like they said, oh yeah, here's Dimitrescu, and we were like, oh Dimitrescu is gonna be the big bad guy, and oh no, you know, I mean, some of us were like, oh no, but you know, yeah, um, <laughs> I get you, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, and they've done so well because they haven't shown us if there's gonna be a Krauser. We know there will be. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't really seen um, Sad- Sadler that much. Um, we've seen Luis, like, but we, yeah, there's a we haven't seen Ada properly. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm loving that they're keeping everything in the in the shadows. And the other thing I think it's kind of over, been overshadowed a lot is uh, the kind of little like mini games you've got in the game to do with just collecting things. And yes, like, going to be side quests. Yeah, and little passives on your on your equipment that they've taken, mm. by the way, from from Village. Like, because mm-hmm. Village had that, except you had to complete the game. Whereas it's looking like that's actually a main game yeah. thing, like to have. Um, yeah, very excited about this game. It's it's going to be uh, just with the showing it's show it, it's given us right now. I think there's big potential for this to be game of the year right now. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I want to um, build upon what you were saying about not showing too much. I'm a big fan of that kind of thing. Absolutely. Um, some of you guys recorded something that I'm not going to say what it is yet. Uh, that's due to come out along the line. And you talked about RE4's marketing and how they showed so much of the Pueblo and not really a whole lot of what else, considering how big that game is. Yeah. And it's the same thing here. We've seen a little bit of the Pueblo and not not a ton. We haven't seen the, any of the castle, really, or anything like that. So that's really cool, uh, I, you know, because that leaves it for us to see that for the first time when we have the controller or keyboard and mouse in our hands. So, yeah, very happy with that and agree about the... 
I love the UI. Like, just I was just watching a bit of the clip where talking to the merchant. I love the way that just looks. And yeah, the fact that you can augment your case and all that kind of stuff is really exciting and really interesting. Carrier, how are you finding the uh, the lead up to remake four? Are you excited? Uh, I gradually grow excited the more and more I see posts yeah. about it, just because it looks like it's really staying faithful to the source material, which, you know, uh, it's great. Uh, it just doesn't feel as impactful to me as it did for Resident Evil 3, which is why could you do that kind of a job? But, um, yeah, because, uh, fun fact, uh, RE3 is my favorite one out of the entire series, the original one. Yeah. But, um, no, it looks, I'm just really interested in seeing... Um, you know, aside from this, the new locations and how everything's going to play on this new RE engine, just uh, how Nick uh, Nick Apostolides is going to be able to transition Le his version of Leon from being that kind of young, not knowing much about anything, rookie, you know, very mm -hmm. green behind the ears, and then seeing him be this full full on, you know, ass kicking U.S. agent. I'd like to see how his interpretation is going to work because. You know, I'd like to see a more mm -hmm. grounded version of that, and that is where I'm pretty interested on. But yeah, yeah it's He's done a little bit of that in Infinite Darkness, but now it's it's going to be nice to see him jump back uh, into that role sort of early on in the sort of DSO operations. As part of a game, is obviously way more than just re better than reading a CGI movie script. You know, yeah. So I totally agree. It's really it's really good that he's coming back yet again. I mean, he's becoming synonymous with the role as he so should be because he's fantastic at it. I wonder how many people are going to go ahead and test out the, the lake little Easter egg where you just shoot it and a little <laughs> yeah, something pays point. you a visit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Uh, Steve, how are you feeling about the, uh, aside from the rain, how are you feeling about the way 4R is looking? I'm actually kind of really in the dark. I mean, aside from social media occasionally shoving me stuff in my face, I've not been pursuing it this time. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I'm not against it. Obviously, I'm looking forward to it. I pre ordering everything, book time off work. I just, I'm kind of... Mostly going in blind, although I must admit I'm not going out of my way to avoid it enough, clearly. Uh, like, I know enough about the rain. Uh, I know I've already talked about it, but I think... in I, I can't believe I'm going to play Devil's Advocate, but there's uh, two things it reminds me of. Obviously, the god-awful San Andreas port done by uh, Rockstar. Yes. yes. Which, which is rightfully terrible, and they should be, like, you know, full-on, like, putting their stocks and yelled at for. Mm. And then there's the ending shots of 28 Days Later... Like, that's the only example I can think of a backlit rain looking really impressive and, like, you know, ominous in, like, a horror scenario. I feel like if it's meant to be literally just, like, a set-piece moment in the game where you're so, like, blinded with the rain that you're panicking trying to save Ashley, that might actually be a good moment. But, again, like everyone else has said, if it literally pervades throughout the entirety of the village sequence, it will ruin it. Yes. Um, yeah. Otherwise, it looks pretty good from what I've seen, although I wish people would stop just clicking retweet, share, retweet, Steve, check this out. I, I know, I'm sure it's <laughs> going to be dope. Uh... Yeah, that's that's completely fair. I mean, you know, we made a joke about it a long time ago when Remake 3 got announced and we were like, wow, that's not far away at all. Just have a little sleep and it'll be here. Like, you don't have to hide much longer. The game is out in just over a month, unbelievably. So, yeah. Very, very excited. I think we might have a showcase coming up. That's my prediction. So I think we might obviously get our final trailer and stuff there. But hopefully we don't get too overspoiled in the next sort of six weeks or so. I just hope my PS4 doesn't explode when I try to install the thing. <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> so our, our final news story today is that PSVR 2 is getting an update for Village. Or rather, Village is getting an update for PSVR 2. So you can now dual wield as Ethan Winters trying to save Rosemary. 
Yeah, punch lichens in the face. Um, I'm the only person, I think, on the panel with a PlayStation 5, considering your previous remark, Carrier. So I will be the only person, I think, who could play this. And the PSVR 2 is so far out of my price range. So <laughs> I guess we don't really have a whole lot to say on it, except that's happening. So that's cool. I think it's sort of expected uh, in a way. I'm glad that it's happening. It's a shame that it's taken this long. Uh, but but yeah, so there you go. For people who are eyeing up the PlayStation VR 2, uh, now you can get Village. I don't know if this is going to be free or not. I didn't actually look too far into it. Hopefully it's a free update, but I, I don't know. From what the social medias are showing, you can apparently throw punches like Joe Baker, which yeah, means it's an instant win. Yep. Like, uh, that is an underrated DLC for Village. Oh, sorry, RE7. Uh, I love me some Joe Baker punching the molded. And <laughs> you can do the dual-wielding, like, gun-throwing stuff that you could do in the uh, the meta VR. Yes, for RE4. RE4, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's very cool. Uh, hopefully one day I'll get a chance to play it, but who knows, right? Cool. Okay, well, chunky old news out of the way. Let's get into our main subject for this podcast, which is Book Club Code Veronica. And now, reading excerpts from S.D. Perry's Resident Evil Code Veronica novel, Petros Uanu, who you can follow on Twitter at Petros of Sparta. Claire was on her feet instantly. A soft, pitiful, unmistakable moan inspiring a near panic of action. A sound joined by another, and another. She spun around and saw the first one stumbling toward her from what was left of the burning helicopter. A man, his clothes and hair on fire, the skin of his face blistering and black. She turned again and saw two more of them crawling up from the mud, their faces a sickening grey-white, their skeletal fingers grasping in her direction, clutching the air as they reeled toward her. Just as in Raccoon, Umbrella's viral synthesis had effectively turned them into zombies, stealing their humanity and their lives. She didn't have time for disbelief or dismay, not with three of them closing in, not when she realised that there were others farther along the path. They staggered out from the shadows, slack, brutalised faces all turning slowly toward her, mouths hanging open, their gazes blank and unchanging. Some wore shreds of uniforms, camo or plain grey. Guards and prisoners, there had been a spill after all. The overlapping cries epitomised great longing, each plaintive wail that of a starving man looking at a feast. God damn umbrella for what they'd done. It was beyond tragic. The transformation from human into mindless dying creatures, decaying as they walked. The inevitable fate of each virus carrier was death, but she couldn't let herself mourn for them. Not now. A pity limited by the need to survive. This is episode six of Book Club, um, which means we are drawing closer to the end and we are doing another adaptation of a video game. This will be the second book, I guess, that S.D. Perry wrote as part of sort of a rolling contract rather than our original contract of four books. Uh, adapting Code Veronica, uh, I believe... I don't actually have the book to hand. I wish I'd checked. I believe this came out in 2001, so the year after the game came out, but before CVX, which is obviously evident as we read through it. Um, we've all talked about our history with the S.D. Perry books on previous episodes, of course, so we don't really necessarily need to ring that out too much unless anyone has anything in particular. But Carrier, uh, what was your first experience and exposure to Perry's Resident Evil books? Uh, my first time seeing them was uh, I was a kid looking around a uh, Barnes & Noble's bookstore and... I, I never really was one for reading because at that at, as a kid I, that was the last thing I wanted to do. I always looked like looking at comics and magazines, looking at the pictures. But then looking walking by, um, I guess the sci-fi section, I saw big bold words Resident Evil, 
and that just caught my eye. Oh, there's a book about Resident Evil. And I looked at the <laughs> cover of the first one, and that was uh, The Umbrella Conspiracy. And right then there was when I made the commitment to start reading. <laughs> All right, if this is Resident Evil, I'm going to start reading books now. And those were, I mean, they were a big, they were integral for me growing up because I didn't have a PlayStation. And mm. the books were until maybe 1999. Um, the books were the only way I really got to play the games. I did end up getting Resident Evil 2 Platinum for PC and spent what felt like an eternity, but was maybe just more so like every day of a year playing it. But like for Resident Evil 3, for Resident Evil 1, because I never beat it when I was a kid. And then um, for Code Veronica, for all, even Zero, I never played these games. So yeah. reading the book, that was me quote unquote playing it and it was a way i could do it yes. in school too because it was it was a book so school's like read books I'm like okay i'm reading this book over and over again it's like replaying <laughs> from a save yeah i actually have this is the only book in the series where i have a unique story to it and it's very similar to that in the sense that i i was aware of the novels already because of the internet and i i went into some little pokey uh, you know, nerdery shop that had comic books and action figures and stuff like that. I think it was probably, I don't know what, if it was like a Forbidden Planet, like a chain or just like a little store. I do not remember. It was a long time ago. And I think it was probably the store where I got my William Burke in action figure at one point. But they also had the Resident Evil books. And I remember there being at least a few of them. And I looked at them and went, well, I'm going to buy one. I don't know which one to buy. And I thought, well, I've got access to these games for two and three or whatever. At least I have, even if I don't have the games, I have a PlayStation, so I have a way of maybe getting a hold of them from someone else or buying them later down the line. But I was aware of Code Veronica, and I was like, that's the one that I don't have and I don't have access to. So I'm going to buy that, just like you. And this was my first experience, exposure to Code Veronica story ever, is via the book and not via the video game. So yeah, that's funny because uh, same. Um, so let's do the book covers first and judge judge the covers before we judge the book as we always do um i know it's not necessarily the easiest thing for audio listeners so uh i will briefly describe them as we go but we have uh, we've, we've tracked down about five different covers uh one is the original cover that you'll know with a zombie face on it just very zoomed in um we have the reprint cover which i mean you know what the reprints look like because they're all the same and this one has claire we have a japanese cover which uh, again original artwork like the other japanese books which just says biohazard six across it we've got claire chris and wesker the french books all along a theme this one is appropriately very icy with a biohazard logo in the center and we also found the italian version which is <laughs> just the original print with like a red mist over it um but there you go steve any favorites least favorites any thoughts on these uh book covers this is easily the hardest of the book cover judging for me because they're all a little bit mid <laughs> like uh, uh, even the, the the starting initial one, which is like a really like detailed drawn zombie, it could literally be right. We need a novel about Resident Evil. We need a cover drumming up because it has no bearing on the story. <laughs> it's just a zombie who's blue. It, uh, it looks pretty yeah. cold, Steve. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, I guess Resident I like Evil Cold Veronica. That's out right. of them, out, out of them, I would literally go for the the Japanese one uh, for the sheer dynamicism of it's got Claire, Chris, and Wesker. Mm. Uh, otherwise, they're all a bit, a bit rubbish. 
Um, I don't disagree with that, to be fair. Although I, I really do like the original one um, in the sense that it's a great piece of artwork. Like, as a kid that grew up, just I wasn't hugely into drawing. It was either Sonic the Hedgehog or, like, just monsters and zombies. So, like, looking at this thing, I was like, oh, the detail and the, the scarring and, like, the split lips, it was, uh, the peeling skin, it was disgusting and it just entertained me. Uh, I really like the artwork. But fair point. Oh no, it's not it, actually it, really that relevant, is it? it? It's a good picture of a zombie, but yeah. it could be a zombie from anything, anywhere. Like. <laughs> You're not wrong, uh, Carrier. How do you feel about the book covers we've got on display? You know, I feel like it was right around this time that the they just started losing any kind of creativity for the covers, just because up until this book, the covers, the original ones, had they looked like they depicted some scene from the story, mm-hmm. like. Uh, you know, you had the number four underworld. You have Rustin Parr, or I think no, not Rustin Parr, but yeah, the the guy standing there with, in front of all the monitors, which is something yeah. from the story. But then this one is just like you said, it's generic zombie one hundred and one. And like I mentioned <laughs> before, I don't see this as even being reflective of any zombie that was even in the game. So it's nice, it's detailed, it looks really good. It's just. You know, this would have worked better for for maybe like you know a resident something focused in Raccoon City, like a side story that was there. Mm. Yeah, I mean that's completely fair. I do take a little bit of umbrage with the reprint of that, which is, I mean, yeah, it's Claire, but like, great, it's yeah. Claire from Claire from Dark Side Chronicles. And it's <laughs> um, not even. I mean, it's not even the right outfit. outfit. Yeah. Yeah, it's like you can have put a Steve artwork or a Chris artwork in there with her. It's like that also feels like, is this really Code Veronica? But, but there you go. <laughs> uh, James, any thoughts on any particular covers? I really I really like the original cover, but yeah, you guys are right. Like it's, it doesn't really evoke Code Veronica for me. I am so mm-hmm. surprised that there wasn't like uh, for any of the, I was expecting, honestly, for there to be some kind of, insect or you'd like kind of cover in some way because yeah like that is a really that is an early push point for this for this game and for this book um yeah if i was going to choose like a favorite out of these um it's it's actually between the reprint and the is, is it the french one that's the blue one, yeah, the icy um, one. But still, they're pretty bad. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah. I, it's like, I, I remember before, like, really liking the Japanese ones too. But there's just so much going on in this Japanese yeah, one, right? Yeah. But like, I can't. Where's Steve? And you've also right. spoiled <laughs> the entire story on the front cover. Like, <laughs> the it, box. Yeah, the box does that as well. To be fair, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of silly, um, but yeah, the blue one for the French one I like just because around that time, um, books were always coming around coming out with this kind of cover. Yeah, I know yeah, it's, for sure. You know, it's very very generic, but um, yeah, I don't know how how to describe it, but they're they're all kind of like this. Like I, the ones that come to my mind are like Dan Brown books, for instance, mm. were kind of kind of like this. Um, yeah, I, you know what? No, I'm going to go back on it. None of them are my favorite, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> Completely fair. Yeah, no, they they could have done better. But yeah, I'll go into it more later. But I feel like this book, just, and you can see it in the covers, I feel like this book wasn't given the full attention it probably should have gotten. 
Interesting. Okay, well, cool. Let's get into the contents. Let's talk about the story of Code Veronica as it's written. Not necessarily like little details and how they've been adapted, but obviously how S.D. Perry uh, takes us through the story of Code Veronica, um, how she treats that plot line. Um, I'm not quite sure where to start. So do you know what, James, I'm just going to chuck it to you. How do you feel about how Code Veronica is represented since you kind of, uh, you had some implications there. I'm interested. Well, I mean, it, it follows the game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. Next person. No. Does it? Yeah. Well, right? Like, I'm it's pretty... A, like, it's a book. There's, there, 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 <laughs> it's a book. It has a cover. Six of them, apparently. Um, but, no, it's... Like, I do... Like, it follows It follows the game. Like, and, like, I, I wasn't really surprised any... Like, I, I've... S.D. Perry's writing with these recreations, there are some things in the recreations that made me go, oh, I like that. You know, yeah. or like, I like those changes. But with this book, it never surprised me. The only thing it, it kind of made mm. me go, hmm, that was the kind of inner monologue of a couple characters. Yeah, like, yeah. First there, of all, certainly. like, I mean, I, I'll just name names, but like, Rodrigo, mm. I liked. There were some lines mm. from Steve I liked. Like, they were cool, but it's it's the game <laughs> so um, you know it, i actually hadn't thought about it that way but you're you're actually you yeah i hadn't thought about it but you're right it is pretty straightforward in that sense yeah i couldn't a, i couldn't wait like, when i was writing notes for this i started writing a bunch of notes down right but then mm. i thought i got to about like three quarters of the way through my second read through and i was like no, I don't need to because it's just the game, and I can just remember the game. And like, <laughs> as long as I, as long as I remember the like, kind of the 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 the, the inner monologues that are going on, it's fine. But mm. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are little bits that I like that are new. Like, I like that she understood that Claire has sort of been framed a little bit more of an action hero in this game because, in obviously. Because of the nature of the game, you don't see it so much. But it's very much implied from that opening cutscene, which is so action-packed that the movie's ripped it off. Um, <laughs> and you get that a bit in here with, like, Claire, even in the sort of opening chapters where she's jumping across gravestones and blowing up barrels and stuff. So that's cool. For some reason, I really remember the bit where she stuffs her pockets full of stuff from the vending machine. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's because it's like, you know... You laugh to yourself and you go, you know, I never really thought about that. Like, you know, as a Resident Evil community, we often make jokes about how certain locations don't have bathrooms and stuff. But we don't talk about the fact that, you know, these characters should probably get some refreshments at some point. So I, I kind of like that little detail. Um, but it's, yeah, little bits more than anything, I guess. They, they, they didn't um, go to the loo, though, did they? They didn't go to the loo, no. It's, uh, no, yeah. but much like any normal person in a crisis, they see a broken vending machine and go, oh, six stacks. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, Steve, how do you feel about uh, Code Veronica uh, and how its story is represented? As the as the ranked CV hater on the podcast, which is more <laughs> of a mechanical gameplay thing, I actually most of the most of the novel I actually was okay with. Mm. Like you know, uh, for what it was, I could understand what it was going. It was like the the extrapolation of like you know Rodrigo's uh, mental state and how he's kind of feeling a bit of guilt about getting you know Claire in this place in the first place. Even Steve, to a degree, knowing that he's macho uh, or trying to be macho, Alfred's mania and the way that the book actually phrases and switches pronouns depending on which um, personality is dominant at that time for him, mm -hmm. I thought was interesting. I know it's 
probably not the most graceful approach, but the fact that the way Perry does her writing, she normally has like the actual like noun nouns and verbiage changed to be reflective of the character, mm-hmm. uh, and that that was particularly chaotic with uh, pre psychotic break Alfred. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a, it was interesting to read it from that point of view. And obviously descriptions as well. I I, I feel like uh, I don't want to go cart before the horse. This this is the probably the first novel where it feels like she may have been rushed at, at points. Interesting. Um, because this goes from a casual playthrough to a speed run. Yeah, I, agree. <laughs> I uh, you know, it's funny actually. One of my notes is the pacing is weird because I was a third of the way into the book and we've only just saved Steve from the Luger puzzle. And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> I thought, oh no. Um, and then by the end of the book, we are sort of hurtling to the end, and there are a couple of chapters which are sort of two pages long. Um, but I don't mind missing out on you know Chris's sort of portion of the story too much because. There's not really a lot of relevant info in there for the book. It's all gameplay stuff when you play it. So in that sense, it does feel odd pacing-wise because the Chris section feels really short. But there isn't much to add to the book. He just kind of needs to get to where he needs to be. Um, But I do agree that some of the pacing is a little odd in that sense. But coming off the back of the Nemesis novel, this is so much better. Because for me, the last act of uh, Nemesis was just awful. Like Every other chapter was a page long. And that, I really did feel like we were hurtling into the end. Um, but yeah, I, I personally, I found this a bit better, but I can absolutely see what you're saying, um, clearly as demonstrated by what I just said about the Luger puzzle. I, I think highlight of grotesqueness, at least until I want to just jump in before my colleagues get a chance, is probably describing the baby moth situation. It's <laughs> uh, like, some grim stuff. <laughs> yeah. Carrier, how do you feel about how Code Veronica is uh, represented here? Um, so it's interesting because I got two perspectives I'm drawing from. I mean, I obviously loved it when I was a kid and I read it. Um, but as an adult, it's it has its uh, its issues. But I think just mm. as a uh, as mentioned before, as it it does the job of taking the game and putting it into a narrative flow of a book. And yeah. um, I will say that SD has always, in my opinion, has always done a pretty good job at when she covers the games. Uh, filtering yeah. out puzzles and other uh, like game plots and mechanics that have no impact on narrative flow. So there's a whole bunch mm-hmm. of in this game too. There was a whole bunch of puzzles that just make absolutely no sense. And she mm-hmm. did a good job of just focusing on the ones that make sense as to how to tell the story. And um, yeah. like you guys had mentioned earlier, um, I think at this point in the books, one of the more interesting selling points for me is the inner monologues, is knowing what's mm-hmm. going on in the characters' heads as they're you know going about the sequence they play out in. More importantly, and I will say this, she was dealt a pretty uh, a pretty low blow here, having to characterize the person of Steve Burnside. I mean that that's a hard <laughs> that's a hard uh, obstacle in and of itself, just based off how he is in the game. <laughs> it was pretty good, but um, not as good as I remembered it. I will say that. Mm. Yeah, I can see what you're saying, and there are certain. In terms of Steve, um, it's a shame she doesn't really dwell on Steve's tragic backstory. They just kind of explain it really quickly and move on, which is a shame. But because some of it, I feel like she does quite a good job uh, with the hand that she's been dealt, if you like, with Steve, um, who I maintain is not nearly as bad a character as everyone thinks. It's just a voice acting issue. Yeah. Um, but because we get those in the monologues, and I'm going to talk more about that when we get to characters specifically, um, we do get to flesh Steve out a little bit. Uh, the awkward quiz, the awkward quit, the awkward kiss scene. There we go. Is quite well written, to be fair, in the sense it 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 feels way less weird and gross. Um, and for me, 
Um, other than the perspective stuff, the thing that she does really well in this book is, and I big props to this, is the way that she reveals information to the reader um, that they they don't already know. If they haven't played the game, in my case, they don't already necessarily know. Like, they don't go and then Steve saw a zombie and it was his dad and he screamed father and killed him. Like, you find that out <laughs> as the of actions take place and it's the end point. These like, you know, and then Steve's dad slumped or whatever. And it's like, oh, you know, that information is de- dealt out to you in a very specific order. And again, the same thing that the revelation that the monster in the dungeon is their father, is Alexander yeah. Ashford. Mm. She dishes that information out in the right order to make you go, okay, that's interesting. That's it. Oh, you know, so that's really cool. And I like that stuff. No, because like you said with the reveal there, I think it was just a really great piece of writing when uh, the sequence where Claire has a sniper rifle and she's about to, you know, take out the, I guess it's called Nosferatu in the game. But she uh, remarks on how his face must have been, it looked like it had a handsome build. Oh, he must have been a handsome person at one point. Like, Mm -hmm. that's pretty good writing. Mm -hmm. Doesn't doesn't she also say, um, I wonder if he was an Ashford at one point? Or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple of little bits like that, certainly, where I love that little inner monologue stuff. You know, you know he looks like he might have been an, an aristocrat kind of thing. Um, the only downside to this for me that I noticed is, and we've complimented um, Perry's writing on gore and stuff before, uh, but there's a little bit less of it in this. Um, to be fair, there's not much of a focus on BOWs in general. And there's not really a whole lot of action in this book. And Coke Veronica, to be fair, is quite meaty in its story compared to some of the other stuff. There's a lot to sort of churn through with the Ashfords and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so we don't get a lot of fights and we don't get a lot of gore descriptions, which is kind of a shame because she's really good at that. And we get a mention of hunters and not really much else. And the banner snatches go down and we never see them again. And so it was good to have the moths, certainly. That's nice. But... Uh, yeah, it's a little bit lacking in that department, which is a shame because I thought that overall she served the story quite well for me. But uh, yeah, a little bit lacking in the action department. I kind of got the impression that at this point she must have been feeling a little bit burned out revisiting these characters and uh, situations again. Mm. She's done a few interviews over the years where she said, you know, there were very strict time constraints and she was just, yeah. you know, watching the game be played and just working on that. So I imagine, you know, writing to a deadline stressful enough um so yeah i think that does show in terms of the pacing i think that's probably where that comes from where everything speeds up with this book and the last book it's probably that where it's like i need to get through these last sort of story beats and get this done um, was a bit on the nose when she said that chris skipped the cut scenes and moved on to the next puzzle area though <laughs> yeah that was a bit much <laughs> for me as well <laughs> actually it's funny that you say that steve because i was going to talk about now sort of the parts of it in terms of an adaption that we liked and didn't like, the stuff that got changed or the stuff that got represented. Um, and <laughs> Steve does what we all want to do in this book and takes out the metal detector hallway so he doesn't have to worry about it. He's like, no, I'm not dealing with this puzzle. No, thank you. And just destroys it. And you know what? That's great. I can get behind that. <laughs> um, Carrier, are there any particular points that you feel like in Code Veronica are represented well? I mean, you mentioned, you know, getting around the puzzles and stuff like that. But, you know, as a terms of an adaptation, how do you feel? Um, like I said, it's it's a great adaptation, and with uh, with anyone who ad- takes a, makes an adaptation of work, I'm always curious to see what is it that you're going to change from the source material mm-hmm. in order to, in order to make it flow for you. And I still always just try to wonder why doesn't Chris start with his Glock? Why is he just three grenades and that's it? And 
from a writing perspective, well, it means you can skip over having to write any lengthy battle sequences of how many times Chris shot a zombie or right. anything like that. But just it does make it feel a bit more um, frantic, I guess, a bit more mm-hmm. like dangerous since he's very low on his weapon side, I guess. But um, mm. as an adaptation, I think it does it fine. And, you know, like I said, she cut out sequences that really just would have really slow down the pace. I mean, how are you going to yeah. explain the damn, you know, metal detector puzzle into the story? And just how are you going to explain <laughs> over and over again? All right. She dumped her knife into the container again, only she forgot about it as she left on the plane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they left the, uh, the fire the, extinguisher. The fire extinguisher, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you're totally right. Um, with the action stuff, I agree. Like it's always been a little bit like here's the monster, describe the monster, shoot the monster, it's dead. Like, and that's all it really needs to be. Um, so I will we get s- some I- of that. I will say that throughout the books, she's definitely been very uh, knowledgeable and specific when it comes to describing the weapons. And I always, I always yeah. like that. Like she calls it out, like, oh, this is the Beretta M93R, which is exactly what it's called in the game, and it's the actual model. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Which looking back on it now, I kind of laugh in Nemesis. She remarks on when um, uh, ter- the, the the other gentleman from the UBCS squad that uh, Nikolai kills in the hospital, when he walks into oh, the Murphy. room, yeah. Murphy, yeah, when he walks into the hospital room and you see he's got a VP70, she said, mm, VP70, he's remarking as uh, Nikolai, ah, the guy had a top of the line handgun, a VP70, and then if anyone's ever seen that thing, that thing is a, just a bunch of crap. <laughs> it's a terrible gun. <laughs> fair like yeah there is a the the detail is good absolutely and even when it's not there she she makes up her own that's kind of like suitable enough like i always remember like i don't know what it is in the book but she gives i think the bandersnatch its own little code like the ones that you would have got from resident evil one like the ma121 and stuff and she remembers 121 she calls the hunters the 121s and this so she has an eye for that kind of detail so i appreciate that um in terms of weapons my other actual notes on this are all weapon orientated It, it again and it just goes to show don't need to mess around with it we don't need to have a protracted sequence you describe the nosferatu and what it does and it's scary and then claire takes it out with a single headshot Seriously. perry does not want to mess around with this she wants to tell the story and get on with it so and so on the reverse side of that i guess uh early on it's claire is hesitant to use the knife against zombies because they're zombies i don't want to get close with a knife but claire it's the code veronica knife you'll be fine <laughs> <laughs> it aim just low through everything like butter yeah exactly it's the uh, most op weapon in the game what are you worried about <laughs> uh steve how do you feel about little uh, adaptive moments like this uh it's the the encounter of the bandersnatch there's, there's obviously there's, there's parts of that first encounter with it where you're seeing it from alfred's perspective mm. specifically after steve has killed it and it actually gave me flashes of Underworld, and that's like one of my favourite moments in yeah. Underworld, so I appreciate it revisit, revisited here. Obviously, it's through Alfred's more manic lens, but the idea of the big villain seeing their monster just crumple like a sack of potatoes is just always so satisfying mm. like that. Mm. That, flesh, that um, fist-clenched, thump-the-desk angriness. Yeah, I enjoy <laughs> it through a novel. Uh, yeah, that and the, the worm encounter, the, the gulp worm. Mm. Your, your, your lo- I can understand the appreciation of the lack of viscera and violence, but I feel like... The, the way she describes Chris lobbing a grenade at it and then taking not the whole thing apart but blowing a side out so that it like you know drops dead and then Rodrigo slumps through it it's kind of it's a bit it's a bit gory <laughs> it's it's a bit disgusting in the best possible way yeah like 
Yeah. On the flip side, though, the uh, quote-unquote final encounters with Alexia, I, I couldn't mentally image what was going on. So I was trying to go for what the book was telling me rather than looking at the game. And it was, it was, it was an interesting set piece, I'm sure. But then the rocket launcher appeared and it died. Yeah, do you know what? This is, that is definitely a thing where it helps if you know what you're looking at, like you've seen it. It is hard to understand what she's getting at, especially where it's kind of like transforms again, um, which she does differently in the sense that, it, you know, the Alexia doesn't sort of spring out and fly away because Chris has actually already taken out the wings, which was kind of fun. Uh, but yeah, I, I do get you. I mean, it's a tough monster to describe, certainly, but yeah, there you go. No, I was going to say I had to comment on that too because I, I read the book and I never even played the game, so I had no frame of reference for how she was describing right. Alexia at the end. Yeah, for sure. Uh, James, any particular moments uh, adapted from the game in interesting ways for you that you liked or maybe even disliked? <laughs> um, no, I mean, yeah, it's the book. It's the game, you know? No. Um, <laughs> I did like, uh, and again, I do agree with you guys. I, I do think like you need some prior knowledge of the game to kind of, because the, ex- the descriptions of Alexa, she is, in my opinion, since... I mean, before Resident Evil Village, she was my favorite monster to look at. Like, her, her second form, her dragonfly form. I thought it was great. Um, mm-hmm. But I think more description could have gone into it, but I do think that more description didn't go into it because she was on that time constraint. And she was like, well, if people are reading this, they play Code, Code Veronica, so they know. you know." But I did like um, the first appearance by her. Um, when she came out and and uh, saw Wesker, and she's like coming down the stairs, and she's being very intimidating. Like mm. I, I love that she she wrote that bit really well. She has this really, really good talent for um, slowing things down when you need to, like and just like that bit was super. Because before that, it was just nothing but you know it was Chris and Wesker and they're like fighting each other and having a little powwow and maybe they kiss at the end but they didn't because <laughs> Alexia came down those stairs and then everything slowed down yeah yeah and she's sitting there now she's the queen of the room and they're mm. both looking at her it was really well done and it was very similar to the game in that respect because yes. that happens in the game as well um you know but you don't get the prior knowledge really this is something I want to talk about later on but the bit before uh, that was when Chris and Wesker meet for the first time. And I prefer the way that the book handles it to the way that the game does it. Um, for sure. Mm. Um, I could go into that if you want. Um, yeah, I'm interesting. That's, that's an interesting take. It's because, like, there are some bits I don't like about it, right? But it had so much more gravity to me. Um, mm. Because not only are, like, you're seeing. You're, the the author is telling you, S.T. Perry is telling you why this scene was is so important. Yeah, and I yeah. needed as a reader, I needed to be reminded of that because when I played the game, I didn't give a hoot <laughs> about that scene. Like I just seen two, um, you know, self-professed alpha males staring at each other, and then <laughs> like it, there was an explosion, right? But in the book, it was slowed down again, and we saw like you know, Wes- we heard Wesker's inner monologue, monologue and Chris's inner monologue, and how they reacted to each other. Then comes the really bad part, which is just Wesker being a creepy creepazoid, 
um, <laughs> in that, which kind of really brought down the tone of that entire scene altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that that's kind of like my favorite bit. Like, if you're going to compare the two things, like I, that's the only bit that I would say I preferred more than the game. Everything else was pretty much on par for me. I'm trying to decide uh, internally if it's best to just say the line for anyone who's listening along and hasn't read the book and would just like to know the weirdest line in S.D. Perry's book will <laughs> stop. Or if I should just kind of implicate what it is and not actually explain it and just leave you on edge. I, uh, so I think I, it's, better just, it's better to just say, for some reason, Wesker talks about his penis in this book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really? It's very right. odd. <laughs> so it's kind of... It Even is. for it's me as a kid, meat, yeah. When I was a kid reading that, I hadn't like I knew Wesker barely enough from the first game, and I'm just like, what? <laughs> I think, and we're getting into characters now, so that's handy. But I think that she writes Wes this version of Wesker really well. She understands sort of the difference between the man as he is now and the man as he was in RE One. He's a bit more megalomaniacal and a bit more, you know typical hammy villain a little bit and she gets him playing all the sides and stuff but yeah that was a a bit over the line for me like doesn't really suit the character particularly but there you go i know that he's clearly just trying to rile chris up but he he does he does have a great line though um when he when you first are introduced to wesker and he arrives just after chris and he walks into the room where rodrigo is dead he he just says a dead dick (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. like, i just i cracked up like every like twice when i read that it was so funny because i just imagined game wesker walking into room into the room <laughs> just really unimpressed and then just looking at him going you know touching and now you're a dead dick and walks away you know <laughs> there is something else i'd like to say about an adaptation too about code veronica yeah uh, let's do it yeah no so- totally uh, the book is a great adaptation of Code Veronica. However, it is a poor adaptation of Code Veronica X. Yes, well, mm. I mean, that's only fair. I don't think Code <laughs> Veronica X uh, sadly was out by this point, which is I a know, real shame. Yeah, it's a real shame because it would be interesting to see how she would handle the fight between Chris and Wesker, I guess. But but I will say yeah. that I was a bit uh, upset, too, after the fact when I played the games that uh, she kind of skipped over the entire sequence of Chris versus Alexia. and I Yeah, I, I noticed that. And it was a bit interesting for her to use that instead of throwing her blood out and her blow is flammable, Alexia could instead just generate flames with her mind out of the ground, which mm-hmm. I I like Chris's quote about that woman is just an apocalypse waiting to happen. <laughs> yes, great <clears throat> line. Yeah, I wonder if maybe that's just her misunderstanding what she's seeing on screen, perhaps. Um, but yeah, it's or, or it's an intentional choice, I don't know. The entire rear of the hold is gone. The hatch torn away. Clouds in the sky whipping past at an incredible speed. Confused, Claire took a single step forward and saw what the problem was. Mr. X, she thought wildly, remembering the monstrous thing in Raccoon, the relentless pursuer in the long, dark coat. But the hulking creature standing in the hydraulic tank wasn't the same. It was humanoid, giant-sized and hairless like the X-Monster. Its flesh similar and almost metallic dark grey, but it was also taller and more muscular, built like an eight-foot-tall bodybuilder. Its shoulders impossibly broad, its abdomen ripped with muscle. It was sexless, a rounded hump at its groin, and the hands weren't human hands. They were far more lethal. Its left fist was a metal spike mace bigger than her entire head. Its right hand, a hybrid of flesh and curving knives. Two of them at least a foot long, and it's not wearing a coat, she thought randomly. 
as the monster turned its cataract white eyes to look at her before throwing its head back and roaring an explosive howl of bloodlust and fury. Terrified but determined, Claire raised her suddenly pathetic weapon as the creature started for her and put the red dot on its right unicolor eye. He squeezed the trigger and heard the dry click of an empty chamber, deafeningly loud, even over the raging winds that spun past the damaged plane. Um, let's talk about characters a bit more now that we've bumped up against it um, and how characters are written. Um, Carrier, how do you feel about how Perry handles... Well, I mean, there's quite a few iconic characters in this game. We talked about Wesker a little bit, but yeah, Wesker, Claire, obviously, Steve and Chris. Uh, I'd say at this point, she's handled them pretty well. I mean, it's, yeah. it's she's already written Claire before, so she's got a good feel. It's like I can tell from her writing style that when it comes to the characters that... She's familiar with the ones she's already established, and, you know, she's handled them pretty well. Uh, Wesker was, it was pretty interesting to see him compared to how he was in the first book, how he's definitely gotten a, a lot more sinister, how she plays into him having this newfound persona now because of his, you know, superpowers. Uh, Steve, again, that was, I honestly, reading the book as a kid, I never understood what all the hate was for Steve. Because I'd only read it through the book, and compared to his yeah. game counterpoint or counterpart, he's m a much well-written character. Um, Chris was my favorite one by far, and reading him again, uh, even from my perspective as a young uh, kid, and reading it to now, uh, Chris is still handled pretty well. And you know, there's also Barry and Leon that we had as little small role side characters, sure. and. and Sorry, I didn't mention the Ashfords as well, to be fair. Oh, Major yeah. Major part of the book, yeah. <laughs> the Ashfords were written, honestly, I prefer the book versions of them over the game. I think she saw mm. what they were doing and decided, well, I could write that character better than they did in the game. So mm. I liked it. Um, it made me, that the early sequence with Chris in the hideout just made me think of a completely different story that this game could have taken uh, had they just decided to be more like, you know, focus on Chris and, uh, and the team living in a hideout, you know, hiding corporate espionage and such but mm. i won't go down that road that's a whole different story um yeah the characters were great i i think she did pretty well with them i think the chris thing kind of contributes to my pacing issue a little bit in the sense that he has one scene early on to establish who he is and then doesn't show up to the end but i think unfortunately that's just you know an issue that comes with adapting code veronica that scene probably needed to be there to explain to a reader that might not necessarily read all the other books um who you know who Chris is and what's going on with this sort of anti-umbrella team but it does feel really weird that we get to see him really early on and then we don't go back there which is a shame but yeah Chris is well written for me Claire is she's got Claire's sort of sarcastic inner monologue down beautifully you know she's got this biting wit to her and there's, there's a moment where she I don't know if she says it out loud or if she just thinks it but she, about the puzzles you know she remarks about umbrella's key fetish which I thought was really funny <laughs> yeah, it's really really good um, the only thing I didn't like about her necessarily, and I could be way off base here, um, but she, when she meets Steve, um, she and she's worried about him being a younger man than she is. Um, she remarks about you know how his parents will be worried or will get him back to his parents, and I think, just personally speaking, from uh, you know outside experience of other people. Uh, as an orphan, I don't actually believe that she would say or think that because she wouldn't make that assumption herself because she probably knows what it's like to be told those things and be reminded that those people aren't there. So I thought that was a little odd, but it's That's a really, a really point, minor yeah. thing. It's a really minor thing, but I was like, 
Oh yeah, that's a crack. Uh, unfortunately, in the armor of this, so as you've said, so perfectly written, Claire. Um, as for the Ashfords, you can tell that she's happy. I mean, we know she likes writing villains. She couldn't stop herself turning Nikolai into a scene chewer, unfortunately. But it really works with the Ashfords, and you can tell she's having a time, just a great time, with Alfred's imagination. Uh, like the earliest introduction we get to him, we get a bunch of like little hints. Uh, for the reader that doesn't know the story, no physical touch allowed between the siblings. Alfred has nightmares about being alone. He thinks Umbrella are scared of me and that's why they've just, you know, they tell me what's going on and they leave me to my own doings on this island, which what that actually means let's just ignore the crazy man who's not important. You know, that <laughs> self-aggrandizing stuff. Yeah, just even from that intro, you're like, this is going to be great. Uh, yeah, Alfred and the Ashfords in general, pretty well written, probably... As with Code Veronica in general, tend to be a bit of a show-stealing situation. I love the Ashfords. Uh, Steve, how do you feel about the the characterization? Generally, uh, aside from Wesker, I have no real complaints, I feel. Like, Chris is Chris. He's consistently the same Chris we've known since the first novel. Mm. Uh, Quite rightfully, Alfred, I think, is the the better of the two villains in this one because it actually doesn't get, quote, quote, much uh, read time. Screen yeah. time, read time. Uh, her page powers time? are a bit vaguer. <laughs> yeah, page time, you know. Uh, yeah. Which is just a shame for her. She doesn't get much much space to develop, I mm. feel, because she's got a, a much more prominent god complex than is certain in the games. Uh, and yet she's still at least somewhat compassionate towards Alfred's death, mm. which I thought was interesting. Alfred, obviously, it literally feels like the most game-to-book adaption one-to-one I feel like the mania that this character portrays is perfectly on par with, uh, with all quirks within. Steve actually enjoyed him as a cocky, trying to impress a girl idiot in the mm. most adorable way. Mm. Although I kind of ruined it for myself. Uh, this is, uh, how do I say this? I told the uh, the, the first day spray guys in, the, in our group chat. Um, so I'm going to just preface this with, yes, Justin, uh, Justin Rowland is a bit of a... Uh, a naughty man does some awful things and rightfully got thrown off all of his works and shows. I accidentally gave him the mental uh, voice of Morty. That's <laughs> <laughs> how I'd had the Morty voice while I was reading this, and it changed it changed him uh, after that to where I just couldn't stop giggling every scene. Uh, yeah, so that, that was a thing. Uh, oh, I think boy. that may have helped. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, uh, James, you mentioned Wesker, but any thoughts on any other characters? Nah, none at all. Sweet. <laughs> oh, I didn't no. say, did I? The reason I know Duke Wesker, sorry. Uh, not to jump back in. Uh, I feel like taking him from the control freak in the first novel to now this uh, kind of creepy god complex with some kind of rape fetish thing, not my bag at all. Yeah. That actually did put me off almost quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it like, the, I was the same, like, it immediately, because I was into that scene, and yeah. then he said that, I was like, ooh. Ew, I feel, I don't feel good. Hmm. <laughs> like the- listening and reading to the rest of this, like it's just, yeah, it felt very bad. It didn't feel good. Um, <laughs> you know what? You know what? When I use the word funny, I don't actually mean funny, but uh, that line, we have that reaction to it, but that line has launched a thousand fan fictions. So, <laughs> oh, I am oh. sure about that one. Um, shout out to the new VA Connor, by the way, who's absolute legend. Um, <laughs> Indeed. Um, but uh, yes, the line uncouth, uncultured miscreants is 
is like yeah so he didn't say the corridor line like but no. it's okay because he said uncouth uncultured miscreants and <laughs> like it's you know i of course i had my voice on him like in this game it, it, while <laughs> while it, while i was in this game it, cuz they're basically the same but like, <laughs> in this book like it was yeah it was so it was so fun to listen to him um talk and him for him to monologue i think he said just enough and not too little right mm -hmm. and he was yeah i think that um i'm sorry guys i'm gonna say the r word if they're gonna like remake this game <laughs> i think they should take inspiration from this novel rather mm -hmm. than absolutely the, like rather mm -hmm. than the rather than the game i think there's some things that need to be changed like definitely like there's a freak line that said at one point yeah and and stuff but yeah like hearing about how sad of a character alfred is we never really get to see that in the game mm -hmm. um right or really experience experience that but in the novel we do like we we we're struggling with him as he's struggling to base it, it feels while i'm reading this and i didn't really get that in the game it feels like he's got all of these plans in front of him on a table and he's scrabbling with his hands to keep them in front of him right mm. and it's and it's just not working until eventually it leads to his death um yeah it's just oh, I, I love alfred so much um yeah yeah he, uh, it, go on sir we we did a couple of videos um a while back now about tragic characters and i'm pretty sure we put alfred in there because it is one of those characters that a lot of people might write off right away but if you think about it yeah like what he's actually going through and been put through i mean yes he is a murderer a psychopath in his own right regardless but like in an emotional state uh you know it's it is he's is a tragic character like a terribly lonely individual sat on this island where everybody hates him the only thing so, he cares about is gone and it's cracked him to the point where he, you know, pretends that's not the case. So to, yeah, as you're right, you know, to see more of that internal monologue and feel that a bit more is really, really good. And again, that's why he steals the show even more in the book than he does in the game. And I agree. I 100% agree. If the dreaded R ever <laughs> happens to CV, um, yeah, they do need to make sure they are obviously very careful about how they handle um, Alfred, because it's a very we're, we're in a very different place than we were 20 mm -hmm. years ago. I mean, it shouldn't really have happened then, um, but uh, yeah, yeah. You have to be very careful about that. That line, I actually thought maybe she had taken it out of the book. No, she just moved it further along and gave it to another character, which is a shame. Uh, sad that that was still in there, but Steve wasn't again. It, I think. Yeah, Steve yeah. says it later, but because I, I was like, oh, that's amazing. She took it out, and then oh no, there it is. Never mind. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't hurt me or anything to read it, but I, you know, was like, it's a shame that we didn't. But I don't think we'll see that in any future iterations. Very I obviously. Hope. I hope and not. I think I'm... that I think that Capcom understand that Alfred is a tragic character that people have a do feel a little bit of uh, compassion for because. In a weird way, that's what leads to his different death in Dark Side Chronicles, where Alexia killing him off, because it leads to more sympathy for him, mm -hmm. uh, which is again the route that I think they should they should look at that and take that route if they ever remake it as well. Personally, I feel like her throwing him aside it makes it even sadder and makes him even more of an interesting character. Definitely, I completely um, I, forgot I about want... that in Dark Side. Yeah, it's so, great. What was that? Sorry, Carrie. I said I completely forgot that they changed his death up in Dark Side Chronicles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I, I want to talk a little bit more about him as well because, like, just to, uh, just to conclude him, and then I want to move on to Steve, because uh, Steve is another standout for me. Um, but um, the one thing that I, I didn't 
fully realized when I was playing the game is that basically he's acting out, right? He's acting out because he's like, the things aren't under his control and he was promised, you know, and he was given the responsibility of all this, right? But he's lost his family and he's seeing all these people with strong familial ties in this Mm. story rising up against him. Can... Mm -hmm. Can like and I, when I think about that playing, I play villains a lot. Being a DM, I play villains a lot, and I was think I like to get into the minds of them a lot. Like when it comes to this kind of stuff, and I start to get into his mind a little bit. I start to thinking, what would I act like if I had these troublesome like brother and sister, this annoying little kid, right? Who oh, his dad died. Boo hoo! You know, my dad died. You know, and then there's, you know, everybody else as well. (laughs) You know, Rodrigo, for instance, as well, who lost his entire family because of Alfred. Alfred sees him as lower, right? That's his whole backstory is that basically this entire island was colonized, right? And Rodrigo is just a a conclusion of that. That hit me pretty hard, like, Mm. with him. And it's it's so, yeah, we can keep saying it. He's so sad. And And if a remake is done... Alfred is should stay the star of the show, like yeah. if if it's going to be made. I feel like we are getting into the, like the big Alfred loving tangent. But like <laughs> you just saying that, absolutely. Like his situation is such that as a child, he and his sister, and his sister almost certainly taking lead as this super genius progeny. They together mm-hmm. they kill their own father, and then she goes into stasis for fifteen years and leaves him alone. <laughs> Yeah. So of course, as you say, he's going to look at everyone else that has what he now suddenly doesn't. At his own hands, it's slightly his own fault whether he wants to face up to that or not. He's left with nothing, and everyone else just seems, you know, of course now the villain in his in his eyes, are rubbing it in his yeah. face. It's uh, yeah, he's an incredible character. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> 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 and then, and then, no, no. I mean, we should. This guy deserves it. Um, but yes, and then there's Steve who. I still don't fully like because I still feel like he is problematic, right? Um, I don't right, think, that's fair. I, I don't think we should be... Um, well, now things are different. You won't see, you know, uh, YA stuff has kind of gotten much better in recent years, mm-hmm. right? But, uh, yeah, he's still problematic in this story. However, I do feel myself relating to him a lot more. I still feel like the I love you line is so dumb. Yeah, it comes out yep. of nowhere, doesn't it? Um, but I would have liked, you know, the, I wish I could have gotten to know you better or something like that. It just would have made more sense. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, you've literally known this girl for 10 minutes, you know, or maybe half an afternoon, I don't know, right? But, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, I understand that they're trying to portray a teenage boy, right? Yeah. But... You know, I've I know teenage boys who are way more mature than this, right? So it's you know I I was too. Um, so it's okay to put that out. Like it's okay to make you know to just like add some maturity there while still keeping it YA, still keeping it a a young uh, kind of adult um, story for him. Uh, but yeah, uh, again, we get to know more about his backstory. Um, as well, and I felt I felt again that thing happened where everything was in fast pace and moving super quick, and then we got to the dad scene where he has to kill his dad, and everything stopped because that was important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That moment was important, and you knew it was important, right? Because you're so used to uh, Perry's like writing at this point that you okay, I've, 
really got to focus on this moment and you learn about who his dad was like and why like he's been basically acting out like like this and again his his mother is also dead mm-hmm. like, so you know oh man i that that's that's another reason why steve is kind of very complex and com- well complicate complicated to me because his mom died right and i feel like i, I mean personally I would act much different to how he's been acting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if my mm-hmm. if my dad had become a zombie, we got imprisoned, and I was 16, 16 17 years old, and my mama died, I the first thing on my brain wouldn't be "Ooh, hot girl," um, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it, it wouldn't be. That's not what would be going through my mind. Um, yeah, and I think everybody else has kind of touched on it. T- touched on the folks. Like I think Claire is done fantastically chris is chris um i don't need to say anything more, more about him um he's pretty simple to write but he's also like yeah very recognizable mm. uh yeah sorry this is so long but i, I feel like alfred needed a a shout out <laughs> <laughs> yeah i in terms of the steve thing one last note i mentioned the the kiss scene i feel like um that obviously in the game is fairly problematic where he sort of leans in and attempt to kiss her while she's asleep obviously yeah. super ick but in the book you can <laughs> this sounds silly but you can tell this is written by a woman because he don't he mm. don't lean in to do it and then his you get we get the monologue that we don't get in the game internally where he goes no that's really weird i'm not going to do it <laughs> even if i think i would kind of like to as a sort of horny teenage boy or whatever and that's like Great, awesome. That's actually a That's big all improvement. You needed. Like, yeah. yeah, but obviously we we can necessarily get that in the game. So yeah, whatever. Uh, but that brings us to writing style, writing quality. We've obviously talked to a lot of positives about what we liked about S.T. Perry's writing throughout. But if there is any particular things that we like, now's the chance to chuck them out there. I've got a few. Um, we talked about Claire's descriptions of things. Claire thinks of Alfred as wearing a child's idea of nobility, which is. A great line, and also, again, what we just talked about, especially, very appropriate, because he is just like a big kid in a way. Uh, This is what he thinks he should dress like and how he thinks he should act. Um, I did complain about a bit of a lack of gore, uh, but at one point she describes a zombie as having described as maybe biting through its own tongue, which is why there's all this like viscous goo coming out of its mouth, which is great horrifying imagery that I'm sure I, you know, memorised and was like, cool, I'm going to draw that. (laughs) Yeah. Steve, you talked about point of view stuff. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we get the prologue through Ricardo's uh, eyes, which is really nice. Ends on the killer line. It wasn't the least he could do. It was simply the only thing left, which is a fantastic line. Um, there's a weird moment, though, mid-chapter, mid-paragraph even, where the perspective seems to shift from Steve to Claire. Did anyone else notice that? It feels like a mistake. It made me reread it to try and catch it. Is it? Is it that moment where... They first meet each other and they're sort of staring each other down and sort of sussing out the situation. It's neat if it's intended because they're kind of like circling each other a little bit. But it felt really weird. It didn't feel like... I mean, I've never seen a book do that before where we're changing perspective literally mid-paragraph. Yeah, I think I know precisely what you mean. Um, I'm trying to remember the line, but yeah, I I know what you mean. Very weird. Uh, Steve, you talked about the Bandersnatch scene. I agree. I love the fact that we get to see that from Alfred's perspective. It was a really neat way to do it, really different. And again, we talked about Alfred, you know, waxed lyrical, but to ham on the same thing, you know, the, the change of pronoun to they when Alfred has his revelation 
and he can't deny it anymore. It's really, really good. You know, you don't read that as a singular there. You read that as a, for me anyway, especially because this was 2001. You read that as the plural they, the schizophrenia, um, the two mm. people living in his mind. And then, yeah, as that sort of ebbs and flows uh, throughout that, uh, really clever, really, really, really well done, really tasteful, even, I would say. Um, Carrie, how do you feel about uh, the writing style, the quality? What Has anything particular stood out to you for good or for bad? Um, that was all pretty good. Pretty, uh, I don't want to say standard through and through, because at this point she definitely found her groove uh, on how yeah. to just get these stories across. I do like that there. It felt like there was a bit of a something new to explore for on her end when it came to writing. At, um, I can't believe I forgot his name, Alfred. Especially mm-hmm. when revealing, like you know, one step at a time, how it's there's not two people, there's one. They both live in his head, mm-hmm. and seeing that one, but because some of the earlier chapters, you think that okay, Alexia is a separate character, and he really, really yes. covets her, and then you come to find out that nope. The entire time it was in his head, and then he doesn't even try to fight it. He just embraces it, and that's what just makes his downfall that much more. That that was an interesting character arc to read through mm-hmm. as as a kid, and especially revisiting it now. But um, no, writing wise, it's pretty good. I mean, it's an S.C. Perry novel, is what I can say. Yeah, it is. It is. It's consistent, which is not a bad thing at all. She's a good writer, um, and I think that. You know, she does really what we talked about being stuck on a deadline and that kind of thing like that. I've, I've never written a novel before, but being on a deadline for a novel would stress me out. So I'm impressed that there aren't weirder leaps of logic or whatever, or, you know, I guess her editors do a great job as well, because I don't think there's really been that many mistakes. She, she calls Sherry Birkin, Birkin with like two E's in it twice in this, but that's quite easy to do, I think. Um, but there isn't any glaring mistakes. So, again, that's good as well. Um, Steve, how do you feel about uh, the writing in the book? Anything good or bad that we haven't mentioned? Well, this is the elephant in the room. Like, while I've sung mostly, I feel like I've given it a lot of praise. Mm. I, I feel like, unfortunately, the second that they get to Chris's chapter, we are one, what, what number are we? We're on page 194 of oh, 234, goodness. which is like, we're, we're, we are like four fifths, if mm. not like five sixths of the novel or Chris gets involved, really. Mm-hmm. And the novel up to that point, I feel, has been quite t- you know, well-paced. We've been keeping track of where people are going, where puzzles are, go- where, where puzzles are or have been skipped, you know, we- an idea of the scenery and the events that happen. But I feel like it becomes such a whirlwind and stuff really does blend together. Like, and unfortunately, it hurts Alexia's reveal, uh, the-, the capabilities that she wields mm. in her fight. Wesker, obviously, as a result, goes from being what we know him as in Code Veronica, Code Veronica X, Code Veronica X proper, to a little bit too much more creepy for the sake of being menacing. I, I feel like the last sixth of this book is high speed, and we lose a lot of detail and yeah. a lot of nuance. So we have to be a lot blunter with it, and it, it's a shame. We don't even really get that touching of a moment of Claire and Chris's reunification, even though, you know. I would argue there's a little bit more than there is in the game. It still feels <laughs> like it's not really enough for what they've gone through to get together. And they even established that players like at least 10 days away from Europe, Chris manages to get there pretty damn sharpish. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's the, that's the floor of the game as well. Like, you know, so I, I, I never, never really explained how they, he does that. He just teleports there by superboat. There is um, <laughs> something else I wanted to comment on too, because uh, I noticed that 
yeah the uh, the overall length of the book and the, the the actual narrative speed it is much things do happen much quicker than the last time that i read it but in defense for sd perry when you look at the game especially at the point when you finally get to play as chris um if you just take out all the puzzles and just focus on just the actual story points that happen he gets to chris's role at the island is to get there find wesker get told that she's not there then leave everything in between <clears throat> is like i you know how are you supposed to pad out finding the damn blue shield puzzle in the water with the, um, <laughs> the albinoid is that what it's called yeah yeah the yeah. albinoid it didn't where is my albinoid boss fight <laughs> yeah um, and then yeah. when you get and by the time you get to the antarctic facility it's the same thing really the only notable things that happen is you search through it but then you find claire but by the time you find claire uh cocoon behind the the staircase you're pretty much on the last leg of the story you're on the way out because then got to go find steve so that's then it's claire and steve and then after claire and steve have your thing that's it now we're on the way out it's everything else in between that is just simple puzzles to pad out the runtime so in her defense i, I, I could uh, yeah i could see why it's just right when we get to chris we're pretty much on the way out yeah i mean but we, if we go for like say Umbrella, um, Umbrella Conspiracy and how that went. I, I feel like we could have had POV stuff of Wesker sending drones or yeah. even certain encounters. Like, uh, we actually have the the uh, the uh, HCF Nightmen that have got, like, laser scopes described as just zombies with glowing eyes earlier in the book instead. Mm. Uh, yeah. Instead of being Wesker's dude who is basically sold out. Uh, I, I feel like we could have had some POV stuff from that, maybe. Oh, yeah. But, again, I, I'm not a professional writer. I realize it's obviously like, you know, you've got to get this in in time or you're not going to get paid by Capcom. Like, it just it just feels like the last... Honestly, I, I was on board the first five, you know, the five, six of this, and then I feel like the last bit could have done just a little bit more time. Yeah. I think yeah. this is a situation where you are both right. Like, <laughs> there, is, oh, yeah, yeah, no. there is no reason to make it any longer than it is because she needed to reach a deadline. But you're right, it does feel weird... Um, and I think given more time, she would have put something like stuff like that. You just mentioned the point of view stuff from Wesker and the monsters would have been cool. And the Albanoid obviously would have fattened out a little bit. But I think it's a circumstance thing, unfortunately, isn't it? But as it I, pertains to the book, satisfaction of the book, I do agree that it's suddenly that last bit just sort of zips by. However, I think there is a major character that she messed up on not including. And that is uh, what's the, the mouse. What's the master's name? DIJ. <laughs> DIJ. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The real protagonist of Cobra. Exactly. <laughs> um, James, any last thoughts on uh, the writing style and quality? Yeah, we've already we've all said it. Like it's SD Perry. Like I do agree mm. with Steve. Like it 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 does uh, launch forward and it was very hard at points for me to keep up with the story and keep yeah. interested. Because I felt like I was rushing through it at the same pace as S.D. Perry was writing, trying to get to the end, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I, I also agree with Carrier, like, it, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, remember when we were doing reviews for, like, Welcome to Raccoon City and and stuff, and, like, people were panicked because they were like, oh, they're trying to, um, they're trying to bring Resident in. Evil 1 and 2 in. But mm. my, like, my, I wasn't concerned about that because not really an awful lot happens in the games so you could potentially put these things into a movie um if you just remove like 
a few of the puzzles or like a few like a, a lot of those games is just running around and avoiding zombies so if you just right. have a couple action scenes unfortunately that wasn't the reason that film didn't do very well but like it's the same it's the same with this you know they were yeah i i agree i agree with steve and carrie that you know they could have just put more in but at the same time <laughs> yeah there, there wasn't much more to put in Mm. Um, in terms of her writing or lines that I really enjoyed, there was a line by Claire. <laughs> I don't know if this is in the game, actually, so I'm going against my own uh, kind of uh, what I said earlier. But she says in her in a monologue about Steve, she says, is he nuts or just stupid? <laughs> <laughs> like, which I found really funny because it was like, it's like an oxymoron. Uh, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it was it was very funny because that that. Because she's also 17 or 18, right, at this she's, point? She's 19, yeah. She's 19, okay. So she's also a teenager. You know, when I was a teenager, I was going, you stupid idiot. You know, <laughs> I was, you know, I was saying silly stuff like that. So, yeah, it kind of transported me back to me being a teen <laughs> and saying double negatives or like, yeah, right. which is kind of what that is. Um, plus, it made sense. She was trying to work out Steve. Um, at that point so yeah but yeah I, I don't have any much more to add about mm-hmm. her writing because we've already said so much and she's a fantastic writer and i love the way she she does write um i don't want anyone to take what i've said as like a negative to her writing because i do like it um it's just adding a little bit more criticism to it mm-hmm. okay cool well that brings us to final verdict then how we feel about this book overall and where we think it sits potentially in the series uh, especially for those of us who have been, you know, gone through everyone up to this point. Um, Carrier, how do you feel about the Code Veronica book? Do you think it's one of the better ones or just, you know, how do you feel about it? Uh, I wouldn't say it's one of the better ones. It's definitely not, uh, it's definitely a great one out of the series. Um, mm. Especially when, you know, having written it off the, the coattails of the, the, the franchise as it was at this point, you know, she kind of had a lot more to work with, so... There was right. definitely a bit more substance there, but I think the earlier novels, um, they're, they kind of have a bit more to offer versus this one. Uh, that being right. said, it's it's definitely worth reading, uh, especially, you know, as a fan of a Resident Evil franchise. It is really good to get in there, and even if it's just from an author's perspective and not official game canon, it's really interesting to see what these characters are thinking. I think the biggest selling point now in retrospect is uh these novels is the inner monologues and just what's going on in the characters heads that you get to be you know privileged to to read about because it offers Mm -hmm. you so much more than just you know your character running around like a like a polygonal plank of wood (laughs) yeah uh actually it's funny that you say that because it just made me realize that the one thing that is missing from this book that's in the others that might have made it uh, you know, offered a little bit more, but I doubt it. Is obviously the Trent storyline that's an ongoing factor throughout. We don't really have any of it in this book. He gets like maybe one or two mentioned, and then he's in the epilogue, which, as we know, will not really amount to much anyway. Um, so yeah, maybe I, that maybe I, that was what was missing because what you know something really interesting about that RE one book is how they interjected him into the story. But yeah, it's a weird thing. Yeah, that's why I think when it came to some of her original creations for the series, she started to kind of pull back on it because it looked like. There, I don't know. I do recall her mentioning something about like their contract not being renewed, and she was just, oh, I'm just gonna, you know, tie up that storyline as quickly as I can. Yeah, and... I mean, to be fair, uh, and she says this at the start of every book after a certain point. 
you know, the nature of writing books that are also video games that are releasing is that they are going to contradict each other. So they are constant. Yeah. Even the books contradict each other all the time. Um, so, yeah, I think maybe at this point it's like, yeah, I need to pull off of that pedal because I don't really know how I'm going to finish the story. It really depends on what the next game is and how I can fit it in. So that kind of feels like she's, yeah, pulling back from that. But, uh, James, what's your final thoughts on uh, CV as a book? If I was going to stick it um, in these, is it seven books, I think? Uh, yeah, there's one more after this, so seven, yeah. Yeah, seven. If I was going to put it, like, in terms of what my favorites were out of the seven, I mean, I haven't read Zero Hour yet, um, but it would be around four or five, like, in terms of my okay. favorites. There's a lot of shining moments in this. I do think it brings a lot more light to, um, like, to the game itself. I didn't i haven't played code veronica um i didn't super in, like the game i didn't super enjoy watching steve i, I enjoyed watching steve play it but i didn't enjoy the game um mm. in terms of its gameplay but i love the story and mm. I, like the th- this book does focus on that and it's cool to kind of get some insight into that so but there were there were some i i, I feel like i'm being a bit harsh but that bloody wesker line really <laughs> oh. <laughs> It really took me out. Um, but mm. also, I just I still don't like S- Steve an awful lot, <laughs> and he and he's like a huge part of this book. So yeah, yeah. get some markdown points from me. It's a, it's a balancing act. Yeah, um, yeah. Like yeah. And I, and I, I feel like this is this is a this is a like the result of just coming to the the franchise late, but. Like, I don't really like Chris very much. So, like, it's <laughs> whenever I see Chris in a story, it makes me go, Burr. you know, even when I, when I, when I, that's not the... <laughs> oh, no, go around to the When I saw Leon's name, I was like, oh, exciting. Maybe in the book, we'll, no, we won't. You know, we, we didn't learn any more about that. Although, we heard that he was a hacker. Yeah, yeah that was weird, right. wasn't it? <laughs> Someone has to fit that I'm in role is the 2000s. <laughs> I was like, oh, Leon's a hacker now? Maybe it's like a summertime job he decided to take up? Um, I mean, if he's in a room com- with Chris, Barry, and Leon, of the three, I'd go with them being the hacker. Yeah, no offence, but like, Chris and can't Barry read. Chris can't read. Chris can't read. In comparison. Yeah. You know what's, Barry just can't read. You know what's funny? I can imagine oh, looking back then and thinking, you know, because the internet was relatively new, so Leon being able to do something as simple as, Log on to a forum board and post a message must have been <laughs> right. blowing yeah. minds. That then, is literally but. what he's doing as well. You know that's what he's doing. So, like, yeah, hacker is a very loose term. I think. We, got, we got a secret forum that we post each other to. Like, oh, really? You mean the that- password is one two three four five? Right. I was going yeah. to say like it's called Live Journal. Be, being, uh, being a hacker is just looking into into like Chris's like notepad and just seeing his password in there. You know, like he just wrote down because he forgot got the first time yeah now he can log on to his myspace great (laughs) (laughs) oh this guy called tom he keeps messaging me every day Um, (laughs) but yeah um to get back on track so the so yeah i i really enjoyed the book there were some things i really really enjoyed that really elevated it right but there there were some things that really brought it down and or kept at still a stale pace or a stale rating for me in terms of comparing it to the game um, so I can't put it right up there with the, as Carrie said, like the the original books that I really loved, especially Caliban. Um, mm. But yeah, um, it's it's middling for me. 
Fair enough. Steve, I'm very interested to hear what you have to say because you described yourself your, you described yourself in this podcast as the CV hater. Uh, I guess you just, <laughs> you just want to rile some people up today. You know? <laughs> but how did you feel about the I, book adaptation? For the record, everybody who's listening and still hasn't like you know tuned out, I don't hate the game. I hate the <laughs> game player. No. Uh, I actually feel like this is the, this is the weirdest gray area for this book. I feel like out of all of the, the, the five that have preceded it so far... I feel like it's probably the most middle of the mo- middle of the road. Your mileage may vary, but if you are like an out and out true, my favorite Resident Evil is Code Veronica fan. I feel like this is the most accessible because there is that little of the uh, the Perryverse stuff overall. That if you mm-hmm. wanted just a straight one to one adaption as a novel, this is the closest you can. Well, I mean, it is the only one you can get, but it's the best of being just that mm. its own isolated thing, its own ecosystem. Because there's no real. Like, you know, we've already touched on it. There's no real Trent as the mastermind meddling and, like, you know, giving people deus ex machina stuff in this one yeah. at all. You know, he's basically the instigator behind Wesker coming to the island, which is passable for anything, really. Mm. If Trent was somehow deemed canon, he could easily be the back, you know, the backbone of HCF or whatever for him. Yep. So it's, on that front, you know, it's, it's actually pretty good at doing its job. Like... My main issue with it is just that it goes from being the, a nice, satisfying, enjoyable read at a reasonable pace to, whoa, we've got rocket skates on, let's go, we're in Antarctica, and Alexi's here, and she's dead, goodbye. <laughs> you know, that, other than that, I was actually just genuinely enjoying it. It was, an, it was a nice sunbathing read, if that was a thing Steve did. She doesn't. He lives in England where it always rains. I, you know, you make some very great points in the sense that, yeah, it is a really accessible version of Code Verona because you don't have the Trent stuff and you also don't have all the backtracking. So mm. even as the noted CV lover, uh, yeah, I I'm, I understand what you guys say about it being sort of maybe middle of the road, but I am in the camp that this is one of the better books. Uh, some of that is nostalgia and some of that is the fact that I just love Code Veronica's story and that this is what the highlight of this book is as you said you know it's not perfect it has pacing issues it has a lack of action but it really hones in on those characters and grows them out a bit more and just focuses on in the story so I enjoyed it for that I don't know if it's necessarily my favourite I still like some of the first ones she did um, and you know the intrigue that comes with those new contributions Uh, so there is that at least but uh, yeah, I think that's a really good sort of summation is like if you want to experience the Code Veronica story in a way that you might not have before or in a way that's, I mean, as you said, it's like two thirty pages long. It's not, you know, a massive time investment as such. So, yeah, it's, it does its job pretty solidly well. Also, I would just like to say, too, that the, the book is a testament to how in the game you can still beat it without grabbing the B.O.W. arrow rounds. <laughs> yes or not the, the, the bow gas grenade rounds yeah, bow right. gas rounds yeah yeah no absolutely good job claire well nothing else remains for me but to thank our contributors our patrons and our listeners join the first x break discord server to become part of our community and hear the show early and unedited and don't forget to follow us on twitter facebook instagram youtube and tiktok all of these links and all of our content can be found at fasprayPod.com. you can listen to the podcast on youtube spotify itunes and all good podcasting apps and if you like what you hear please do leave us a review where you can and spread the good word don't forget you can support the show by picking up some merchandise or at patreon.com forward slash 
slash FASpreadPod for as little as $1 a month. In our next episode, we'll be kicking off a new series looking at various viral agents and the nasties that follow them. Starting with the big one, join us for Virology T-Virus. Thank you to the panel. You can follow all of us individually. I'm at Siniac underscore one, two, three. Steve is at FB Steve was taken. James is at Moist Outlet OFF. And Carrier is at Carrier1998. And finally, thank you for listening and have a good week. book cover i actually thought it might be like i know resident evil we need kind of maybe a monster on there but like claire crouching down with a sniper rifle in alfred's hands over the staircase would be a really cool iconic game uh, moment would have been a great but, perspective piece yeah it would have been a really cool yeah. cover but uh i guess not just generic zombo man will do yeah they gave I mean, up, the cover they gave the up the palace painting uh something yeah um, true yeah or something with like alfred and alexia lording over her and chris and claire you know as you say like the sibling trade-off sort of mirroring thing would have been that what you're gonna do? What yeah, that's why it feels like for this one, like they were getting to a point where the time crunch was short. And I, th- I, my opinion is that that cover art is like whoever was doing the cover art from before. That was just some stock or like some side image they drew. It's like, um, <laughs> Maybe, here, yeah, yeah, that's one. That one works. Yeah, let's do that. This is like something they rejected for a previous book, and they were just like they were rejected it. And they're like, no, you need to make it more specific to this book. And then this time they were like, no, that'll do. <laughs> yeah. Dean, I've- that zombie looks amazing. It does look. How's amazing. the Veronica cover going? Uh... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Bless him. It's Steve's dad, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> that works. Say that. That that works. Oh. <laughs>